Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. It is good to see everybody. Hey, if you've had a job for any length of time, uh, just a few years, you probably have run into what has been affectionately called the boss from hell. Have you ever had one of those bosses where nothing, I mean, you could not do, amen, hopefully you, uh-oh, hopefully you don't have that boss now, but uh, uh, you, nothing you do is enough. No matter how hard you work or whatever you put the effort forth, it just doesn't seem to satisfy. Uh, We moved back here. We were 22 years old after we got out of school, and uh, I got offered a job I thought was going to be just wonderful with uh, with an engineering company, and the man that had started this company was a legend uh, in the two states. And uh, I said, wow, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to learn so much from him. And at that time, the, the entry level was surveying large tracts of property. So that was the first. So I had to go out to like 2,000 acres and go out on 2,000 acres of land and spend a week just going through with a team and working around it. And, and this guy, though, was such a perfectionist that the minute I would set up the instrument, it's so different now, you know, with the lasers and all that. You don't have to worry about all, a lot of stuff that we did then. And uh, he would sit, stand behind me, and I could feel his breath on my neck. <laughs> And I was setting up the instrument, you know, and, and I mean, I'm 22 years old. What do I know? I mean, I'm just trying to set it up. And, and by the time I'm, I'm shaking and then he would go, man, I could have already surveyed the whole property, been back at the office, drawn it all up and handed it to the customer. Get out of the way. Let me do this. That happened almost every time he was around me until I would come home to my wife of just one year and go, uh, I think I'm getting an ulcer at 22. And uh, I finally had to, you know, that was not a great experience. But let's face it, it's not just the bosses from hell that cause problems. Sometimes there is the employees from the nether regions, right, that show up on the job. And if you ever had one of those, if you own your own business or you've ever supervised or maybe you've worked with a fellow employee. And uh, I had a guy working for me one time that uh, he, he, he would never show up on time. He used the gas from the company in his private car. Uh, he never got a project finished. And so I had to let him go. And, and not to mention that one day I showed up on the job, and this was a construction uh, business, and he was standing on one of the plate lines with a nail gun in his hand, and they were having nail wars, shooting at each other. The whole crew was. And I'm like, really? I mean, there's nails all over the place, and they're just having a grand old time, laughing, shooting nails. And so when I fired him, uh, he drove by the office. He takes 50 pounds of nails out, dumps them on the front porch of the office, takes about $2,000 worth of tools and throws them up against the side of the wall, cusses me out, flips me off, jumps in his car and drives off. I'm like, wow, there's both, right? I mean, there's the bosses and there are the employees. There are people we run into in our work that aren't just that much fun to either work for or work with. The Bible has a lot to say about work. A lot to say. Proverbs 
10, Proverbs 11, and Proverbs 12, those three chapters are just filled with talk of, of, of work. And God, way back in the Old Testament, when he would, gave the instructions for his temple to be constructed, even the priests, the clothes that they were supposed to wear. Uh, let's read this. First Chronicles 28, 21 says, The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God, and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. What a wonderful combination of a great employee, huh? Willing and skilled. They've got the right attitude, and they've got the proper aptitude. They want to work, they have a good attitude, and they have learned something enough that they can contribute to the cause. That's a great uh, job description. We're in a series that, as you know, we've called Why My Life Matters. Last week we looked at why our lives matter to our family and to our friends. And today I want to look at why my life matters to my work, to your profession And so let's pray, and uh, we'll go over to Romans and read a short verse, and we'll launch into this. Father, thank you for your word. I ask uh, for your help this morning. Uh, Breathe life on your word. Holy Spirit, come. Uh, Rest among us. Be here. Teach us. Uh, Lord, I ask that you give us a clear view of your opinion of work. Help us, God. Do your good work in us today. Begin it now. And finish it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm using the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians. Of course, they're in Rome. And I'm just launching off of the last chapter, some, a few different verses. I found a very interesting comment in one of these, uh, the latter part of verse 23, Romans 16, verse 23, where it's talking about a guy, Erastus. And he says, uh, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, I really like that name, Quartus, that's a cool name, send you their greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. I mean, why would Paul put a man's job description in the Bible? Was it just filler? Was it just like, well, I'm just thinking, oh yeah, he's the the public director Uh, He controls all the buildings for the city of Corinth. Is that what this is about? Did he just make it as a passing comment? I don't think so. This, the whole chapter is filled with greet, greet, greet. You know, thank so and so for what they've done. This person and that person. And then when we get to Erastus, he points out his skill, what his job is. Now, I started thinking, what could he have done? Maybe he had offered a place for the church to meet. Since he had access to all the city, uh, different city buildings and all, maybe he was wealthy and he gave to that first church plant. Maybe he had influence because he worked for the city, had influence throughout the city, and he used it for the advancement of the kingdom. I don't think Paul just mentioned this uh, as a filler, as I said. I think he's drawing attention to, you know that guy. You guys know him. So remember him. Some of the other uh, translations call him the city treasurer. Some call him the procurator of public buildings. And I do know that uh, there's been some archaeological finds where in Corinth they found this name, Erastus. uh, They found it on a a public building where 
this, we don't know if it's the same Erastus, but this same position, as far as being city treasurer, director of public works, was promoted to a higher rank, actually, in Corinth. And you know, I like to think that that's him, that this guy had some influence on the job, and eventually he was indeed promoted. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's extra-biblical and archaeological. But it seems to fit in with why Paul would even mention his job. And um, the Bible has a lot to say about our work. You know, we Americans have been known, maybe we were known a little bit more in years past, but have been known for our work ethic. We have always been known as a hard-working people in America. A uh, guy named Francis Grun, all the way back in the 1800s, who was American but had been born in Germany, came over and became an American. And as he watched America getting up out of the ground, he had this to say. He said, active occupation is not only the principal source of America's happiness and the foundation of their natural greatness, but they are absolutely wretched without it. It is the very soul of an American. He pursues it, not as a means of procuring for himself and his family the necessary comforts of life, but as the fountain of all human happiness. Americans have been known to take much joy in their work. And we've been known to work very hard and to, to give ourselves to our work. God is a worker. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he, what, made. That was his job, right? He, he even rested on the Sabbath. I mean, I figure if God needs a day off, we probably need a day off, right? We probably need a day off. He didn't need it. He took it, but as an example to us. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he made, and it was what? Very good. Now, that's a great description of, of work and you enjoying it, isn't it? You leave work at 5 or whenever you go home, and you look back and you go, that was very good. I look at what I did. I look at how I gave myself to my profession, and I go home, and I look back and go, man, what a great day that was. I gave myself to it. I worked hard, and I can look back and see what I've done. Why did God put man in the garden in the first place? You've got a fill-in in your handout if you want to follow along. It might help uh, if you decide to talk about this at lunch today or whatever. Uh, your first fill-in is this. Why did God put man in the garden? That's because work is an opportunity to improve upon God's creation. Work is an opportunity to improve on God's creation. Prove upon God's creation. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to have a surf vacation. No, I'd like to think that, but that's not what it says. To work it and to care, take care of it. To what now? God creates it, takes man and woman, puts them in the garden, says, now you work this and you take care of it. You make it better. I'm going to give this to you and let you... This is your responsibility. Now, this is long before man sinned. This is before man sinned because we know a curse entered upon work once man sinned. Thorns and thistles, right? Genesis 3. Suddenly, thorns and thistles came up out of the ground and what was a good job and a fun job of maybe planting and, and going out and spending the day... Uh, working in the garden without having to deal with thorns and thistles because of sin that came into mankind, now the work had a curse on it. 
now it was going to be a lot more difficult than it had to be. But originally, work was God's idea. Work is not the curse, but there is a curse upon work on this earth now because of sin. We have to put up with a lot that we wouldn't have had to put up with. Now we have to work with slackers. I mean, it's fallen man, right? There, I mean, you work with people who don't appreciate the job, and, and you also have to deal with government regulations and all kind of things. That To get anything done, it seems like it takes forever. I mean, you have to deal with inferior products and what it takes for you to do your job. And like we talked about, bosses that are hard to get along with, we indeed work under a curse. It's very trying at times, and yet work is something God has given us as very noble and a gift from him. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. His dad taught him probably how to build furniture and, uh, and make benches and whatever was needed. And then he launched out into his ministry for three, three and a half years. And even in the ministry when he was preaching and about, he said this about God, his father and himself. He said, my father is always at work. To this very day. And then Jesus said, and I too am working. The Father is still working to this very day, and I too am working. What was his job? What was the Father's job? What was Jesus' job? What was he working at? You. Bringing God's reconciliation, bringing his redemption to earth. That was his job. Remember on the cross, those words, it is finished? That's him looking back at the end of the day on his labors and going, it is good. Just as God said in Genesis, a new Genesis was breaking onto the scene through God's good work on the cross in Jesus as he looked out, as he paid the sacrifice and looking back on a day's work going, it is finished. Now, that part of securing our salvation and offering that to us is finished, but he's still working to this day, is he not? Is he working on you? Yeah, he's working on me. And he will continue to work, to do his good work. That's what we're told in Scripture, for him to complete his work in us. So he's still working in us. I mean, the big question to me is this. What can we do to better see God's creation uh, reflecting the kingdom here on the, on the Grand Strand. Here, what do we do? How do we work in such a way that it's an inviting place, that it reflects that God is here, that His love is here, that His affection, His peace is available to people? How do we do that on the Grand Strand? How do we see the kingdom, His rule and His reign, come on the work, in our work, on the job, in our professions, uh, another survey that I read, four main contributors to life, to a happy life, were this, satisfying work, warm relationships with family, close relationships with friends, and a strong religious faith. Now, anybody can have those four. You don't have to be wealthy to have those four. You can be poor, middle class, or you can be wealthy and have all four of those. And you can have a happy life if that's what it takes. 
satisfying work, knowing that you're doing something and contributing to something meaningful. So what we do is have an opportunity to contribute to the kingdom of God, to God's good creation, just as Adam and Eve had in the garden, to work it and to tend for it. We have the same opportunity in our job. What does that look like for you, where you work? How, how do you see more of God's goodness on the job that you can bring? Maybe how? The way that you treat people, right? Maybe the way you treat your clients, your patients, uh, the people that you're around. Maybe even the people who, so your suppliers, when you order things, how you treat them, how you talk with them. Uh, the workplace, the setting, the environment. As far, far as you being a follower of Jesus, what do you bring to that work environment that would help bring the kingdom of God and people would be able to see, even in more detail, God's goodness in His creation? I mean, I think about that along the whole grand strand as everyone goes to their work, as we're out and about. And each one of us thought about that every day on our jobs. I'm here as a representative of God. I'm here as a representative of Jesus who had his work to do and did it and also is continuing to do his good work in me. So how do I let his good work work in me on the job? Now, it's, you know, not just, it's not, well, I'm going to hold off on that one. Uh, never mind. Your second film. <laughs> I wasn't raised in church. Did I tell you that? Um, I was raised in a working class family, okay, and uh, it comes out every now and then. Um, your number two is this, that uh, we have the opportunity in our work to influence the influencers, to influence the influencers. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. What this means is that the, the more you give yourself to your work as far as the quality of it, you will get uh, an audience with more people. And you'll have an opportunity to be able to, uh, for them to see your life and for you to be able to speak maybe to them. And, uh, and so if you are skilled, then more people seem to be around you in it if you, as you work hard. Uh, last week I said that at any moment in time, there are 150 people about you or in your circle that are going to be influenced by you. You have a network of around 150 people at any time in your life. It just branches out like the graphic that we have on our title page. And in a lifetime, last week we said there were like 10,000 people that you would have an effect on. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it, to have that much? Think about that. And we as followers of Jesus, those of us who have you know, said, okay, God, I see what you're doing in Jesus, and, and okay, I'm going to follow you. Those of us who are Jesus followers are here, and part of our responsibility is to influence the influencers, to be an influence around people who influence others. As a matter of fact, you're going to influence them anyway. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to influence them? I saw a clip this week of a guy named Javier, and Javier had been asked to do something uh, that was unethical on the job. And I want you to watch this little clip for a moment. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. 
Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Well done, Javier. After six times, I was getting discouraged. never know do you you just don't know about your influence what's what's going to happen when you're asked to do certain things employees how we treat one another if you're working with someone it will have a tremendous effect on others your customers your clients patients tending caring for doing the best that you can do for others all speaks volumes uh, and it influences people people don't forget those times when you stand up and you do what's right, when you're kind to someone. And unfortunately, I, I hope this is changing, but it's been a recurring theme that church people are some of the laziest people to ever hire. I don't know how many times, because I've been in church work a long time now, but always trying to get people jobs, and you get them jobs, and I go, how's it going? That's the laziest dude I've ever, you know, I'm like, oh, man. You know, you just want them, oh, what in the world? I just want to kind of drag them back to the back room and have a little talk or something. It's like, no, no, I ask, a, I put out on my Facebook, I said, have any of you guys ever worked with anybody uh, like this? And uh, a girl, a young lady that I've known for a very long time sent me this testimony back. She's a, she's a real leader, and uh, she's been the boss on quite a few jobs. And she wrote back about men who were lazy. She called them baby men. She said, baby men just, just have absolutely no idea of hard work or of getting to work on time or of doing a good job. It wasn't unusual for me to say things like, how old are you? I'm a 44-year-old fat broad and I'm working circles around you. Get some pride. <laughs> I mean, our work speaks volumes about what we believe. And it should speak volumes about in whom we believe. God was a gracious worker to include us in on his creation to care for it, to work it and to tend it. Now that has not changed. We have still been given that mandate, but we have to work within the context of a fallen world with 
thorns and thistles. And, but it doesn't mean we still don't have the great joy or we have been giving the, given the opportunity to be so happy at joining God in his good work on the earth. And that means on the job as well. You don't know. Somebody after the first service came up to me and told me of someone that it had been 40 years and all of a sudden through this weird set of events, they were connected to this person on the other side of the country 40 years later and the person wasn't a Christian but they had worked together and then this person just happened to send them a verse to encourage them, found out they weren't a Christian. They said, you are. I've been interested. Nobody's explained it to me. And within just a few weeks, they're back telling them about Christ. 40 years. One of those lines that jut off and go out all those decades and you don't see it coming. When I was a young man working for my dad, my dad put me digging ditches, foundations, very humbling work. You know, out digging ditches for here in the beach and all over the Horry County. And I worked with a guy that was just absolutely the most, I was a brand new Christian. He was the absolutely most foul mouthed one individual I had ever been around. And he would be behind me, and I'd be in the front digging. And he would be cursing how hot it is, making fun of Christianity, making fun of me. And so I just started singing songs, singing gospel songs. And then start, well, Jesus is coming back. It might be in five minutes. You better get ready. And just, just to try to quiet him down. You know, any time, you know, shovel's going to drop. I'm, you know, well, you better watch out. And uh, you think it's hot here? Well, you know, and just, <laughs> just kept working. I mean, I don't know if I had the greatest intentions, but um, I mean, I really got tired of that mouth. But, uh, but yeah, I never, you know, he quit and disappeared. And, and back in like, I guess it was around 86 or 87 or 20 years later, I'm in a post office and I'm, I'm getting the mail. And this guy, big guy walks in. He's got a dark suit on. His hair is greased straight back. And he walks in and I... I get the mail, and I'm walking out, and the guy goes, Tim Holt. I went, yep. He go, and then he gives me his name. I went, what? I said, what happened to you? He says, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> I just, what? <laughs> you know? I mean, you don't know. You just don't know. You don't know. I mean, I, and I go back to those ditches, you know, I'm like, Really? <laughs> you, a few weeks ago, um, well, back in 1989, I'm getting out of the water at the Yachtsman Pier with another friend of mine, and we're walking out, been surfing, and this kid who moves, moved from up north down here to go to school is walking out with us, and we're just talking, and we welcomed him to the area, and uh, he's from Jersey, and welcomed him to the area, and Kept seeing him in the water over probably the next five to eight years, and then I haven't seen him at all. Two weeks ago, this knock comes on the door, and it's, it's him. And he's a salesman. He happened to come through the area. He sits down in my office and starts telling me about life. And, you know, it's good, but I'm feeling one of these things like the Holy Spirit is saying, he's not here just to get caught up, you know. And so he packs up everything to leave, and... Um, he hesitates, and I just, I said, how's your soul doing? How's your spiritual life? And he just fell apart. He just started weeping. It's not good, and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to do about it. 20 years walking out of the ocean, all of a sudden shows up. And right there, he, he prays. He asks for Jesus to take his life, and 
He says, I'm going to begin to follow. Give me some podcasts, Tim, so I can get started. Give me some podcasts. I'm on the road all the time. Give me some podcasts, you know, so I can listen to some good preaching and teaching and get grounded. I would a million years never thought that just simply walking out of the water with somebody and talking with them, working with someone, digging a ditch 20, 25 years ago, the guy 40 years ago, and you just don't know what God is going to do through your work, where he places you with who. And that is that you will influence people who will influence people who will influence people who will influence people. And your work ethic speaks volumes to that. How you treat people, how well you do your job. If you're retired, you still work. You know you do. So whatever you put your hand to, ever how you work, the people that you are around, that's your responsibility. That is your field to, to care for. That is your Eden to tend to, to work, to be responsible for, to be a voice to, for God. We all still have much work to do. Now, there are enemies to a uh, godly work ethic and to seeing it a blessing, and they're on opposite poles. The first one is laziness. That is an enemy of work, laziness. Proverbs 12, 24, that's your next fill-in. Laziness is diligent hands will rule but laziness ends in forced labor. The Bible uses a word, a slothfulness. You ever seen a sloth? <laughs> you seen one? Yeah, here he is, kicked back. You know, he's a great little guy, but he moves real slow. Real slow. And the Bible also sometimes uses the word, some translations, like a sluggard. You ever seen a slug? They even move slower than a sloth. I mean, a slug's just barely slugging along. And uh, the Bible doesn't have a lot of good things to say about slothfulness and being a sluggard at work. Proverbs 12 and 27 says, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. In Proverbs 10, 4, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, I want to say this. Not everybody that's in poverty is lazy. A lot of people in poverty, the reason they're there is there's unjust systems that have not allowed people to make the money they deserve to make. And, uh, but they're working hard. They're doing everything they can to try to get ahead. So don't take this verse out of context. And uh, laziness is simply not wanting to work and refusing to go to work. I mean, have you ever met people who kind of live in this fantasy realm? Like they're not going to get a job until they can get that job? Like I want that job, the job where I work 20 hours a week and make $20 million. That's the job I want. Yeah, who doesn't want that job, right? And I mean, I talked to somebody not long ago, and I'm like a very young person. I'm like, how's your life looking? What job do you have? And it's like, well, I want this job so that I can have a boat and go to Indonesia and go from island to island surfing. He's 19. I'm like, well, what job do you have? Well, I don't have a job yet. But that's the one I'm working on. I'm working on that one, you know. And I'm going to have a house in California, and I'll invite you over, Tim, and you can come and hang out with me. I'm like, that's, that's great. What are you going to do in between now and then? I'm just looking for that job. I'm like, well, that kind of job just doesn't appear. You know, you work till you get to that point in life. And Proverbs 12:11 says, Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. I could have been a contender, you know, I mean, I, whatever. 
I could have been this. I could have been that. Oh, I, you know, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. And it never happens. So we never work. We never get a job. Laziness. We won't do anything if it's not exactly the thing. And so we don't do anything. Laziness, slothfulness. It's a disease. But there's another disease. And this is your last fill-in. The disease of workaholism. On one side is laziness. And on the other side is workaholism. And this is the one that is very easy to justify. Especially for us Americans. Ecclesiastes I love this. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after wind. More of us, I think, are probably tempted by this and justify this. And it is a fine line between being a hard worker and knowing that you have a responsibility and, uh, and at the same time, letting it control you. You know, when you don't work your work, your work works you, you need to step back. Just step back and see if you're doing the work that you're called to or is that work working you from now on. It has hired you. You're not working it. And it's easy for us to do this because sometimes it's easier to go to work than it is to sit at home and develop relationships with our spouses and our children. If things get a little tense, it's like, oh yeah, I got to go back to the office. I forgot about that, you know. We'll talk about this later, which means not if I can help it. <laughs> and so we get out and we go back to doing something where we're either respected or we feel like it's under our control. And so we work, work, work. So we don't have to work, work, work. And it's hard. It's hard to finally see that breakthrough because work is it's addictive. It releases chemicals in our brain that make us feel good, and it should. It should give us great joy to work. But it can, if it becomes an addiction to the point that it has us, then we're in trouble. If we don't have time to develop relationships, to be with our family or be with our friends or have a, a spiritual life, if I cannot sit in a room for, I said five minutes to the first, I'm going to, you guys, I'm going to step it up, 30 minutes in a room by yourself, quietly. Sit in a room right by yourself, quietly, with just your breathing, and listen to yourself, your heartbeat and your breathing, enough to calm your spirit, calm your emotions and mind, and just simply sit before God for a few minutes. If you can't do that, then you're just being pulled along. We should be able to stop, spend that time with God, rest for a moment, take back control of your life. If you can't have those moments of respite, those times when you can just listen and be still. People get so busy and they chase money, they don't have time, they don't have a spiritual life, they don't have a time for community, spiritual community is chasing it wherever it goes and and, and get caught up in it so early in life that later on there is, no, there is no bond with brothers and sisters in Christ or there is no local church to be a part of because there's, it's just not important because we've got to have one more dollar and one more dollar and one more promotion and one more thing. And when it gets like that, we really need to ask ourselves, what's going on? Worship, if I can't get my work out of my head when I'm trying to focus on Almighty Creator who put who gave us this creation to make it better, if I cannot push 
the creation aside enough to look at the creator, then maybe something's not quite in the right place. The Bible uses a sloth, a slug, and then it uses an ant as a good worker. You ever seen ants? It looks chaotic, but it's not. You know, it's not. Every move is measured and every move is planned. And they, they're going somewhere with everything they have. And when night comes, they bed down and they rest. And then when the day comes back, you know, they're at it. But they know how to stop. There's not a movement out of place. And the Bible uses and says, look at the ant. Take a lesson from the ant. Your life matters to your work. It matters to the people that you come in contact with. It matters beyond those that you even know. And you know, ultimately, you're not really working, you Christ followers, you're not really working for your boss or for yourself. You're working for Christ. We are His workmanship. We are His workers as well. He is doing His good work in us, and He's doing His good work through us. Everything we do on the job is submitted to Him because He is our supervisor. He is our ultimate supervisor. At the end of the day, it is going to be about what you did with your life and how you used your work, your profession to really touch others and to make a difference on this planet. I saw a clip. This is a news clip just a couple of days ago. I appreciate Chip loading this up because it touched me so much of a news anchor who is going through a very tough time. Some of you may have seen this. But I want you to listen to this as we close out. I want you to listen to his co-anchor and what she says about him and his work going through this tough time. Watch this. Okay, we moved in here because we've got some serious stuff to discuss. And we are an open book, and we wanted to let you guys in on something that we've known for a while. Yes, as you know, I told you a few weeks ago that my brain cancer is back. What I have learned in the next uh, last few days, in fact, as I have seen doctors several times, I'm learning more about what my future holds. Basically, my cancer is back, and it's too big for surgery and radiation. Um, doctors have told me that I may have four to six months to live. Now, I've also decided to try a new treatment. It's an antibody treatment and a chemo treatment to slow down its growth. Uh, the goal here is to have a few more days and to make them the best that they can be in the life that I have. As you know, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe that I'm in God's hands. I'm at peace, and I know that he's going to take care of the days ahead and that uh, the goal here is to have the best ones possible. Absolutely. Such an amazing attitude. I mean, the strength from you is um, we are all feeling it here. Well, our viewers have really dedicated themselves to this. As you know, I have been here quite a few years, as it turns out, but the viewers have so supported me through this, and I want to let them know that they, too, are fighting cancer and other health issues, that they, too, deserve that support because uh, it's not just really only about me. And that's what I love about you. That That's what you always say. Lots of people have cancer. It is not just about you. But really, right now, it is about you. I've had you sitting next to me for <laughs> nine years, yes. and I'm going to hold on to every single day that I can. Yeah, it'll be nine years in about three weeks, and I'm dedicated to continue good work. I want to know that there'll be a moment where I will stop a moment and say, I hope I did good work to our viewers. I served them. I did things well, and I want to take uh, an opportunity for that to make sure it happens. Well, let's stand, guys. Thank you, Lord.
God did a good work when he went to the cross for you. Did a perfect work. And he's continuing to do a good work in you. And he said he's the first, the last, the author, and he's the finisher of the faith. That what he starts, he completes. And he's doing that work now. And if we could just maybe close our eyes for just a second. Maybe you want to do some, as we used to say, business with God right now, pertaining your work, what you've been doing. It's so easy to slip into being negative and and trying to take advantage maybe of a bad boss or a bad system. And, and maybe you just want to ask the Lord for help with that. Maybe you want to say, God, I'm sorry. Help me help me be a representative of your kingdom from this point on. And uh, give me the grace. Maybe maybe today's the day when you go, wow, that I can see that Jesus has done the good work for me so that I can know my creator, so that I can know God. And I want to step across that line. I want to begin my journey with Jesus today. I would love to pray for you. If you would just kind of lift your hand and let me know that's you. Just say, that's me, Tim. Pray for me. Thank you. Just lift it up and let me know. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. Dot com.